Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. Yes, it's back to two again this week, Will Dalton and Jatinder Candela. How are you doing, guys? Very good. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Good to have you back, Will. Thank you. Yeah, I've come back from my uh, three-month holiday. awesome i want to go again i bet you do you know every when you come back from a holiday the first thing you should do is book your next one yeah. to get over the kind of the, the misery of coming back that's actually, I, I hadn't heard that before but that's a good idea yeah i suppose you're kind of in the you're in the holiday feeling aren't you trouble is i've got no money but left. yeah it was weird doing an episode without you was it a lot better without me oh yeah miles but i mean you know we're stuck <laughs> with you so. now aren't we I thought so. <laughs> no. listeners, uh, listeners went through the roof i think J- jk got to say a bit more that too, but yeah, oh, wow. yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Very good, very good. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's do anyway. the news. So I'll go first. Why not? So His Excellency, His Royal Muskiness, <laughs> Elon Musk, uh, everyone's favourite comedy sociopath. He's decided to buy Twitter again, apparently. Oh, gosh, here we go. It was on, then it was off because too many fake accounts or some such nonsense. Loads of stuff in the media over the past couple of weeks about, I think it was WhatsApp messages or some messaging app, stuff that's been published between him and the, the head of Twitter and all this kind of stuff going back and forth. Apparently, at one point, uh, they were having a really nice conversation, a nice chat. They had dinner together and stuff. And then the next day, Elon Musk tweeted on the platform, obviously, that he's planning to buy. Is Twitter dying? <laughs> and put this tweet out. And then everyone was like, what are you doing? Anyway, it's all either some kind of incredibly clever master plan to try and drive the slightly optimistic price that he offered originally down, or he's just completely nuts. I can't decide which it is. But either way, apparently it's back on again now. Some would say because he was very obviously going to lose when it went to court. So that's why we think he's buying it, because he was going to lose? Or- yeah, so so what's happened is he's... So uh, it depends who you listen to. There's a lot of commentary around this. But in, in yeah. essence, it seems like what he was trying to do was he declared a price and then he was trying to drive it down potentially, or Uh, step away completely by saying, well, actually, this platform's got way more fake accounts on it and rubbish on it than you can, you know, than I originally thought. How you could not think Twitter is full of rubbish and fake accounts if you've been on Twitter, I don't know. But anyway, and he then goes, so so he he did all of that. And I think he was trying to drive the the cost down or whatever. But then it became pretty obvious that he was going to get held in court to that same original price. So then a couple of weeks before it was due to go to court, he actually published a letter saying, oh, actually, I'll give you the original price because I'm I'm great sort of thing. And so it's all back on again now, but God knows where it's going to end up. But yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's like watching a sort of car crash play out in slow motion in some ways. But um, when you think how influential this platform is and, and, you know, it's sort of being bandied about as a kind of weird bargaining chip it's um mm. it's very very odd but anyway yep so in theory he's going to do it he's going to buy it so we'll see how that goes will did you want to go next with your new story sure right british government version what number are we on now five <laughs> this, um, this month <laughs> i think we're on um uh, uh, british government vista by now aren't we <laughs> yeah. maybe xp really shit one that no one bought. <laughs> Surely it can't get worse. He ah, says. so you you picked up on why I chose that particular version of Windows to reference. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. The article title is "UK defies climate warnings with new new oil and gas licenses" from the BBC. So, after recently announcing that they've they've scrapped all taxes. <laughs> Um, without a plan <laughs> without a plan to show how they're actually going and, to pay for it and then unscrapping them again yeah and then unscrapping a bit of them and surprise surprise all the markets go you know that's mad and the pound becomes worthless it, was that really a surprise to them please say they would have known that anyway well, well it's not um, like anyone important like say the chancellor of the exchequer didn't yeah 
you despair. Anyway, they're, uh, they've solidified their environmental credentials around the world by releasing this uh, announcement that they're gonna, there's a new round of licenses, whatever that means, opened up to companies. I imagine licensed to, well, it's licensed to drill, isn't it, or explore for oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, because oil and gas is the future, as everyone knows. Well, and also there's a slight there's a slight tiff going on in Ukraine, isn't there, which is uh, yeah, affecting global yeah. supply chains yeah, and so yeah. on and so Although forth. Although the investment could be elsewhere. Our, th- our thoughts are obviously with the people yeah. of Ukraine, by the way. I should point that out. Yes, yes. But oil and gas, I mean, it's been used to wage wars and promote and sponsor nut jobs in charge for ages, hasn't it? So perhaps mm. we should invest in something else. I don't know. We've got enough nut jobs, I guess, in charge, so why not get the oil? Yeah. Well, yeah, and we've got a nut job in nut job in. Well, anyway, uh, so this can, can we? Sh- what is wrong with us today? Why are we suddenly on like a? We're not a political podcast. Like in the no, interest of balance, this isn't I political. Should, I'm not making in, this political. In the interest of balance, I think we should say that the founders of DDK hate almost all politicians equally. Yes. We're not singling out yeah. the Tory party no. or anybody else. We just oh, think yeah. they're all idiots. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to vote for any of them. But yeah, no, this is this is specifically the Tory government, or the, sorry, the Conservative government that's in charge. In, in the UK at the moment, and yeah, as you and say, we use you know, the term "in charge" loosely. Uh, here we yeah. go again. Yeah, let's let's steer back off this course before we get <laughs> get too. What too are we going to do? Get sued? Oh <laughs> God knows. Anyway, yeah. So so they've decided to allow for. Is it the exploration or is it the actual extraction that they've allowed? I can't. No, I, I think it's. I think explore to see viability and then extract if it's viable. You know, yeah. if they're going to make billions. Then let's I mean, it's going to it's going to happen, isn't it? Countries are going to be casting about, going, "Well, there's this." this massive, you know, injustice going on in Ukraine and, and Putin's gone completely mad, so it's not going to be undone anytime soon. And, you know, mm. they're, they're well, blowing I up their, their, I get it, Julian, know. but it's like, shall we invest in something else though, right? Mm. Why don't we yeah. invest? I mean, you know, oil and gas is is not really the future for energy. Or no, it's not, but I guess it, I think it's mostly motivated by the short-term continuity isn't it so we've got stories flying mm-hmm. around this morning on the news actually about you know potential and the, the media always do this but about um, potential blackouts coming and, and all yeah. this kind of stuff you know and scare I, stories and i think fear, there's a lot it? of scaremongering and it's being used yeah, yeah, sure. by these energy companies to yeah drive Fear's up the, a great uh, driver yeah, bridge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah well i mean normally they'd have been outraged right but because mm. of the war in ukraine and people thinking, oh my God, my electricity might get turned off. I don't want that. You know, people are much mm-hmm. less likely to be outraged by something like this when actually they should be. So it's, Do you think yeah. we're being, pl- politics is being played here? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> roll on anyway. version six, I say, of the government. Do you know <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I think? I think this is quite a good case for agile update of British government versions. Do you know what I mean? It's like frequent iteration. A different release. Of, of different releases of <laughs> government until weeks. we actually get one that's good. <laughs> test it out for two weeks yeah i think it's a good model i like it well the rate they're going they're gonna to have to replace liz trust in another two weeks so you might get your wish in terms of how regularly they swap they're leaders like but anyway managers aren't there now it's just oh, like it's just, yes. Yes, it is, two bad it? weeks and then bang you're yeah, out. Yeah. it is pretty crazy at the moment yeah Anywho, right, so Jatinda, your news story. So my news story is that there is a trial going on at the moment where a train firm is rolling out water spray attached to trains to get rid of leaves on the line so that we don't have those kind of classic delays every autumn of services being shut down because there's nobody to clear the tracks of leaves. This company is called Water Trek, who've come up with this novice idea of 
attaching water sprays to the front of a train. That it Novice, did you space. say, or novel? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd, I'd go with the former. And they're trialling it between Leeds, Harrogate and York to start off with, and then Sheffield, Doncaster, Hull and Scarborough. So once they've trialled it there, they'll then consider doing it on more mainstream lines across the country. On lines that actually people use. <laughs> or they have trees near them. Yeah. with trees are they particularly tree laden tracks so i so like what happens when it's below freezing this doesn't help in any way shape the trains all go <laughs> the trains all go really quickly until they hit the end of the line <laughs> yes <laughs> and they don't stop at Speed any station <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the reason yeah. so one of the reasons why they're trialing it on these lines is because they're slightly slower trains okay, i think fine. that there is a speed limit on this kind of self-clearing technology it's just so a two, water spray. It's not even clearing stuff, is it? Two questions, right? Yeah, so number it. one, I thought those little tubes, if you ever looked at the front of a train, there are two little tubes that point at the track right in front of the wheels. And I thought that was air. I thought they were sheeting like high pressure air at the tracks to clear stuff mm. off them. And number two, how much water is this going to use? And where is it all going to come? I mean, are like three of the carriages just going to be full? Are you going to have to swim <laughs> if, you're, if you're in cars, you know, EH and G or whatever? Because like that, this... That's a lot of water, right? That to actually a shift very a good question. bunch yeah. of leaves. I mean, where are they going to put it in question. the train? You know what? When you go to the toilets on the train, yeah, and you like, there's there's three little. I'm really worried where you're going with this. Right? There's one for soap. There's one for water, and there's one for air in the new modern in the new modern toilets. Right? Yeah. Do not blindly go for the soap first <laughs> because you find you've done this especially towards the end of the journey because you find you've done the soap and there's no fucking water left which means you've now got hands full of soap that you have to somehow <laughs> get rid of. oh no bad news that's a bad day if I mean, being in a train toilet in the first place. (laughs) So I I think this is quite a uniquely British news story because we're one of the few nations around the world that simply cannot run a train service properly or effectively. There's probably if anyone's listening to us in Japan, they're probably like, What are you talking about? All of our trains fly. Like literally (laughs) fly above the rails. They don't have leaves. We don't have leaves. Like none of this is or pretty much anywhere in continental Europe or whatever. Like they've solved all these problems a hundred years ago or something, and we're still grappling with trying to get a train from Scarborough to Peterborough. Whatever. What do they do? With, well, it, with yeah, leaves? like Germany is like absolutely covered in forests and things, and they don't yeah. have any. Of it. So what is oh, anyway? Anyway, let's move on to the main topic because we've dwelt on the news for too long. So uh, space once again. So this is the third part in our in space. No one can hear your podcast series or whatever we end up calling it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I just made that up. I thought that's rather yeah, good. That's anyway, <laughs> so yeah, this is this is part three. So uh, the first part we were talking about sort of history of space and space technologies and things that are interesting. Me and Jatinder, while you were away, will we talk through the environmental impacts of using space and ways of clearing up space junk and Kessler syndrome and all those kind of bits and pieces. But today is all about the future of space. So do you want to kick us off, Will, with some of the thoughts that you had around this area mm. and topics we're going to discuss? It's also worth saying we're going to cover off not just the mundane or the or the near future stuff, but we're also going to slightly riff off into the uh, slightly mad sci-fi, simply because that meant me and Will didn't have to do that much research because <laughs> our brains are already full of sci-fi, so that's easy, right? Our brains. But no, some of it's well, interesting. Well, isn't sci-fi like the future anyway? That would be an interesting thing. How much of sci-fi... I'm sure they do it in the press anyway. I think they did it for Back to Future, the film. 
you know how oh, much of this loads, is actually yeah, yeah, how much yeah. of this is actually real and actually reading sci-fi is like reading the sort of future it's like reading a non-fiction of the future isn't it one thing i've always thought about sci-fi is how much of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy so how much does the future look like sci-fi because mm. that's how we all expect the future to look <laughs> do you know well, what I mean? Yes, very good point, like yeah. I've I've often wondered if things get designed because you, you've started to get stuff like the N seventy four, this concept car that uh, absolutely stunning thing. By the way, Google it uh, if you haven't seen it, but oh, right. absolutely incredible looking car. But has got this apps. It's from Hyundai, I think, of all people. But it, it oh, yeah. just looks incredible, and it's it's electric and hydrogen powered. But it looks like something out of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Like it literally is, is it designed. Concept? It's a it, well, no, it's a drivable concept. But I think they're potentially yeah, going to put it into production right. because... But they always make them look like that, the concepts, don't they? Completely. And then when the actual real one comes out, it looks like <laughs> oh, some crappy box, doesn't it? Mm. Well, yeah, but this, like, the reaction to this has been enormous. So so enormous that I think it might end up in production. But it literally, like, it looks like if someone had, had taken like a DeLorean or an 80s kind of design and then thrown it forward into the sort of retro future kind of cyberpunk aesthetic... And, and Elon Musk is busy building space rockets that look like a 50s spaceship design, you, you know, like the big silver chromed yeah. up, you know, thing. It's just always been an interesting thought to me of how much does sci-fi actually shape the future that we end up living in. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. And Jeff's building a rocket that looks like a peanut. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but, you ironic, know. Isn't it? Embodying himself. Oh my God. God. Yeah. Have you Based seen what he's done him. to himself recently? He's he's enormous oh, no. now. He's like what do you mean? No, no, he's, he's he's chonked up. Like he's enormously muscular. It's it's so obviously just human growth hormone. Like the guy's like the size of Chris yeah. Hemsworth now, but nowhere mm. near as as trim. Like nowhere what is that man the, doing to himself? Beautiful. Anywho, sorry. Carry on, Will. <laughs> Topics. Okay. Back, back on topic. So we dream. What what were we talking about? Space. Space. <laughs> That's it. Right. So I don't know why, but we categorized it into six things Okay. to talk about in terms of future space. I don't know where we got these from, but anyway, they, they seem quite they seem quite sensible. One one other other habitats for the human race. So we you know, where are we going? Where are we going, humans, into the future? Are we gonna stick on this planet uh, and gradually destroy it? Or are we gonna go on to other planets and destroy those? I was about um, to say, where else can we screw up next? But I thought, yeah. I thought you'd get there with your nihilism I'd in the get, end. You know me, uh, super cynical. New species, discovery of new species as a, as, a, as, a, as a category. We've been talking about this time memorial, haven't we? And there's various different calculations, equations that we should have by now discovered something, um, but we haven't. Why not? Space mining as a category. I mean, is this starting? We've been sort of starting to take that seriously. The resources out in space are literally infinite and resources on Earth are literally finite. It is a good place to go for resources. Um, and I think some of the things we're doing is aimed at that. Why would we go to fucking Mars to live? I don't know. Who wants to live on Mars? It looks really shit. Um but why? But interestingly, near Mars is the solar system asteroid belt. You know, the biggest asteroid belt in our solar system between Mars and Jupiter. Is that the landing place we go? Discuss power generation. Right? We know energy. Energy is a massive topic in the world at the moment, isn't it? Right. And and oil and gas and the nut jobs that control oil and <laughs> gas around the world that we've just just referred to. We don't really want to be, you know. Uh, associated with them or you know they're in control of things we want to become i think it's what is it energy independent or whatever the whatever the word is um that our liz is using at the moment 
obviously we're humans, so we want to kill each other. Um, war in space. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. Um, inevitably, we're going to use probably the one with we... the largest budget out of all and the ones. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Inevitably, we want to kill each other. We don't want to kill each other just on Earth, do we? We want to start killing <laughs> each other in space. So what are we going to do about that? And then defense. I suppose defense is an interesting one. Defense in terms of defending ourselves on Earth. But also, and I thought about this recently, also defense in terms of stuff out there. Um, and stuff out there could be, you know, the inevitable alien attack that is depicted in sci-fi a lot, but, you know, it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it has happened and we're all actually just aliens. And also defense from asteroids, yeah, hitting Earth. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of money and a lot of fear and a lot of looking around that. They're the categories. So they're all interesting stuff, right? I thought we'd start with, let's, let's go back to the top, shall we? Shall we start with other habitats for the human race? Yeah. Um, Julian, I don't know. Have you got any sort of real-world examples? I can start on the sci-fi if you want. Well, yeah. So there are various projects going on with, you know, investigating both the long-term effects of staying in, in different gravities, for example. So obviously Martian gravity or lunar gravity, very different to Earth's gravity, and that has a huge effect. You know, we all need gravity to remain alive, basically. We are not creatures that are adapted to live in a zero-G environment like, um, you know, waterborne creatures or whatever. And astronauts who've been away from the Earth, some for over a year mm. on the ISS, for example, they have to be carried out of their spacecrafts, generally, because even though they exercise on board their, their space station and, and what have you, just not having to support yourself against the press of gravity the entire time significantly weakens your bones and your muscles. So your body, you know, the human body is an incredible thing. It can adapt to the most remarkable changes in circumstances to its physiological makeup. You know, people who lose limbs or people who, you know, who, who lose various sensory capabilities, whose other senses then extend to, to help them fill that gap and so on and so forth. You know, there's incredible evidence of humans being able to just respond to the most amazing things. And We're the human body does this. We? Well, it, it does this automatically. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting about humans is that they are one of the only species on Earth that can survive in any biome, right? So we can survive in the Arctic or the middle of the Sahara Desert you or say the anywhere. There's then. nowhere that's off limits to us. I like that word, biome. Yeah, well, bi biome is the proper term for it, right? Because sci-fi, going back to sci-fi, loves a single biome planet. So a planet like Tatooine in Star Wars, which is entirely desert, or you know, the entire planet is just one big desert. That's called a single biome planet. But we have many biomes on, on our uh, planet. But we can survive anyway. Rainforest, desert, doesn't matter, right? And what separates us from a lot of other animals is also our endurance. Um, so the most animals are not in, you know, in the animal kingdom on earth, do not have the endurance that a human being does. A human can carry on for much longer. So there are hunters in, in Africa who will hunt things like parlor or whatever by, by just walking after them forever until they get so tired that they literally just fall down and die. But the human will just carry on because we can, because we're, we're, our bodies are built time on their hands, exceptional. Well, yeah, I mean, the hunter-gatherers, right? But, but the, the, point, That's all the point is, yeah, no, literally, these are, these are tribes people in, like um, I think it's Kenya or somewhere I read about it, but human beings have, a, have an extraordinary physiological characteristic in that we are very adaptable and we are very, very resilient in comparison to a lot of other very much more specialised animals. And so, in theory, 
we could travel to to other worlds or live in, on the moon or whatever. But it's go- our bodies are going to almost betray us in many ways for returning to Earth because they will adapt. Like they will 100% adapt to whatever environment we're in. And we have no control over whether they do or they don't. They just do. So if you're in a zero-G environment for a long time, that is a problem. Because if you ever want to not be in that environment again, then you, you've got to readapt back to your original status quo. So back to Earth gravity again. And there are a lot of studies going on at the moment about the long-term effects of zero-G. There have been uh, a lot of studies also put into the mental health aspects as well, because what you don't want is... Has anyone seen Sunshine, the Danny Boyle movie, where they go to restart the sun? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, incredible film. With jump leads. Yeah, well, with, with nukes, but yeah. But, you know, amazing film, but it, ha- it, you know, it has a... It makes a point along these lines. And a lot of people hate the fact that... Spoilers, by the way, for this million-year-old film, but... There's basically, there's a crazy guy. So there's a failed mission from a previous iteration and, and it fails. And it's because one of the crew goes crazy and murders everybody else. And lots of people are like, oh, this is a rubbish twist, blah, 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 blah. But actually, it's it's very clever because they're pointing out that if you were on a mission to reach the sun, you'd be on this crate, this spaceship with like eight other people for, for years, you know, years and years and years on end. You'd just be stuck with these same eight people in the same few small metal rooms and so this guy snaps, you know, he just goes nuts. And they've started doing a lot of things like putting people in habitats and having them live for the amount of time. I think it's a, a NASA project to do it at the moment. Having them live. Because what that's sort of highlighting are really sort of crappy places yeah. to live yeah. outside of Earth, right? I mean, no one really wants to... I wouldn't want to leave if I had to, you know, um, go on a training course about how not to murder someone when I'm on a when I'm on a very long when I'm on a very long you know trip and and that's part of the problem isn't it is that I suppose there there must be planets out there that are what, what's the term they're Goldilocks in the, zone it's not, the Goldilocks not too far zone, isn't and it? not where too close to yeah. the nearest star yeah where where actually it, it gives the kind of environment and the position to allow a kind of Earth like it's it's funny, isn't it? We're talking about actually we want to live on another planet that's like Earth. Well, we're we're living on <laughs> something like Earth, so why are we wanted to leave. But anyway, I suppose with population expansion and all the rest of it, we want to move somewhere else, and it's mm. exciting and all the rest of it. But they're gonna be really, really far away. I mean, really far away. Now, how are you gonna do that? It's sort of like, and this moves us into science fiction a bit. Is is that you've either got to go really, really fast. But you can't go faster than the speed of light and all these planets are light years away. So you've got to travel for years. Uh, you know, that's that's a bit of weird. I suppose there's hypersleep and all the rest of it, which is comes out in sci-fi a lot. You put yourself to in some kind of hibernation, freeze your body for a long time, and then you, you awake. But you've got to leave all, all Earth and family or whatever, you know, back on Earth and that's it. You've got to sever those ties. Or there's also... And I'm sure this is. I'm sure this must be the case. There's ways of shortcutting through time oh, and space. Oh, right. Somehow. Here we go. Yeah, it's kind of you know, the wormhole <clears> theory <throat> and all the rest of it. Actually, you don't. You don't just travel long, long, long distances. You know, there is some way of shortcutting space. through this, which are again. Yeah, it's the uh, yeah, it's the the thing time. that Marvel popularizes, isn't it? The Einstein Rosen bridge and all that kind of stuff, where you fold two points in space together and then you jump between them and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's interesting. Do we want to leave? One, why we want to leave a really a perfectly decent planet? And two, I think there's some pretty substantial <laughs> travel issues. 
um, <laughs> that we need to solve first. Right, let's move on to the next category. Discovery of new species. Yeah, I love this one. So this must have been going on for a long time already, though, right? We've been yep. obviously doing a lot of work to try and understand what's out there. Well, again, mm. and also because, like, the universe has been around quite a while, hasn't it? And we've been around quite a while. You know, not in universal time. <laughs> not in universal terms, but not but, not even in the history of our planet. But in terms of the planet, in terms of planet Earth and life, yeah. life in terms of on our planet as opposed to human. Surely there's something else out there. There's a um, theory, isn't there, that looks at the amount of the amount of planets that are potentially are out there, the amount of planets that can sustain life, and it's you know it's almost certain that there's going to be some kind some kind of life out there. The Fermi paradox. Yeah. Yeah. So What's the Fermi that? paradox is what you're talking about. Is that is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it says, given the size and age of the universe that's out there, that we and when this was written, that it wasn't understood how big the universe actually is, but we're starting to really understand that thanks to things like the James Webb Space Telescope, which we'll come on to in a minute. But yeah, basically what the Fermi paradox says is given the, the size and age of the universe, it, it's almost implausible, like almost completely implausible that other technologically advanced civilizations don't exist, given how big the place is. Even, even if there's an infinitesimally small chance of life evolving in happening like it did on earth that must have happened billions of times when you think of how yeah. many mm. trillions of galaxies i mean galaxies i mean most people don't even understand how big our milky way is and and how many billions and big, billions of planets and stars there mm. are in the milky way let alone the fact that there are billions or and trillions or whatever it is of galaxies which, which all have you know similar or or, or b- even bigger numbers of, of uh, planets and stars and things within them so how is it how could it be possible that we're the only life in the universe. It just—it's impossible, basically, statistically. I suppose it comes down to: is there, is there life in the universe that is more advanced than us? Because oh, there well, is an yeah. argument. There's an interesting argument that, and you sort of see it being played out now on Earth, that a civilization gets to a point of of such um, complexity um, that it kind of self implodes. Yeah, and that so, it just continually happens like that. Yeah, so the Fermi paradox, the paradox bit itself, is that um, this this we should hold to be true, right? That there must be other life out there, and and there must be a lot of it, given given the probability. But we lack any observational evidence to support that conclusion, right? So mm. either the initial assumption is incorrect, and technically advanced intelligent life is much rarer than we believe, or our current observations are incomplete we haven't detected them yet or our search methodology is flawed so we're not searching for the correct indications because based things like seti this the search for extraterrestrial mm. intelligence they look for radio signals but what if the the this life doesn't communicate like that you know and four uh, is really like an advanced most, civilization going to be using radio well <laughs> it depends how advanced but uh, and number four this is this will be your favorite one will is the nature of intelligent life simply to destroy itself so, so they've all destroyed themselves before That's we can pick them up, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes. The reality, though, or the most likely explanation for any of this is simply that space is big. It's very, very big, right? So despite piggybacking on the world's most sensitive radio telescopes, the instruments that we have can't detect random radio noise emanating from a civilization like ours, which have been emanating, like, say, radio or TV signals or whatever for, for less than 100 years. and 
you would need a civilization with all of the techniques that we have available to us, right? With every bit of technology that we have, you would need a civilization to be within 100 light years of Earth to be able to detect it at all. So if they're further than 100 light years away, which in universal, in universal distances is nothing, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a grain of sand, you know, 100 light years in the grand scheme of how big the universe actually is. We, we simply cannot detect them if they're out there. So the possibility is that they're just too far away and we, and we can't, you know, we might be looking in the wrong way for, for our, our side, nearest neighbours. Right? It does go back for to that transportation side, yeah. but for their side, maybe not. This is what well, the, this yeah. is what this interesting thing is. I mean, I, you know, for me, when I look at human beings, I don't think we're that particularly advanced or sophisticated. But I'm, I'm, I always think there must be something more advanced and sophisticated out there. But if they were, hmm. may, you know, why haven't they communicated? Well, maybe they have. They have looked at us and go, "Fuck you, no, I'm not touching <laughs> that. I'm not touching those with a barge, but with yours." <laughs> Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> yes. Well, this is the whole, you know, are we in a marble or are we in a jar on someone's desk or are we all a computer simulation or any of the other, you know, million other existential, you know, questions about the nature of our existence. But yeah, yeah. you know, uh, that, but, but, but re- the reality is space is, inc- you know, it's, it's large on a scale that e- even in terms of our nearest neighbors and planets and stars and things, it's large on a scale that humans can't relate to very easily unless they're it's in just, the field of sort of too science. Big, and, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Too big, is it? Too big. It goes back to the you, transportation. The other there's hand big right. and then there's this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Right, space mining. We need to counter through these pretty quick. Space mining. Right, so as I said, I think right at the beginning, there is a massive asteroid belt in our own solar system. It's in between Mars and Jupiter. You've been reading The Expanse again, haven't you? <laughs> I've been reading. I've been reading Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that Expanse is made up. This is true. No, no, but they they talk about that asteroid built in detail. Well, they do. They? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's where yeah, sci-fi yeah. comes from. Yeah, and it's it's terms of both in terms of habitats because some asteroids are bloody big. Oh, oh, they're, yeah. size of, they're size of cities. They're not. You don't think of an asteroid as a sort of little rock. It, they're Ser- actually huge. Ceres, isn't it? Ceres is the biggest body in the asteroid belt, I think, and it's actually a dwarf planet, but it isn't because it was discovered later. It isn't classified in the same way as Pluto oh, and okay. stuff. But yeah, there's cool. there's a full-on planet in the asteroid belt, pretty much. So, and and asteroids contain lots of decent stuff that oh, yeah. we could use: nickel, iron, carbon. Yeah, I've got rare earth metals as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. We're running out on our planet. I think, you know, it's, it's ripe for exploitation. For the people, for the countries that get that right, you know, they've just signed their ticket, haven't they? Maybe Mars is why we're investing so heavy in Mars. Mm. Because it's near, well, I suppose near, it's all relative, but it's nearer than where we are. Mm. And well, yeah. also it's transportation, you know, massive. And you see that in sci-fi a lot, don't you? Massive transportation ships. Look at, um, what was it, Alien. Nostromo, wasn't that a transportation ship? Wasn't that a huge... Uh, it's a mi- going, it was a mining ship, mining wasn't it? Yeah, ship, wasn't so, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think always it is. Comes out yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first one to bag a few of those asteroids and being able to process it or transport it, yeah, I think they're on to a winner. And that, what do you think, Mars? Is that why we're going to Mars? Because I don't want to live in Mars. It looks a bit shit, doesn't it? The asteroid, <laughs> the asteroid belt does divide the inner and the outer planets in the solar system, right? So it's, it's between Mars and, and Jupiter. So yeah, it makes sense, right? That what you said, you know, that it would be the nearest staging post, I guess, for that. And yeah, you know, I mean, in sci-fi terms, at least it's, it's phenomenally popular, you know, the, the concept of um, space mining. Uh, it's, it's in everything from video games to 
literally everything. I think most sci-fi has an element of mining involved, right? In in some mm. way, shape, or form. I can't. I'm struggling to think of an example that doesn't at the moment, actually. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's just everywhere because it's it's obvious that that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to go somewhere and then we're going to exploit its resources well, we in whatever to, way we can, don't we? I'm not sure we get. We're going. We can. Well, we definitely can't now. But we need to, if we want to continue to grow, we wanted to continue to extract minerals or whatever to, to build stuff. We want to still manufacture and build stuff. We've got to find these raw materials from somewhere. I think I'm right in saying we've, we've had quite a cynical tone, I think, to the podcast so far. But I think there is Sorry the, more, the more utopian side of sci-fi, right? Like Star Trek, for example, where you know no one needs currency anymore and no one starves and all the rest of it, although there are still wars and things. But most of those are with, with aliens. I think a lot of that is down to the ubiquity of resources in space. So that's why they have like all the spaceships and everything that they have, you know, the Federation, everybody, because nobody, nobody's lacking for materials. I could be completely wrong. There's probably a bunch of extremely angry Trekkies right now who are going to hunt me down. But yeah. I think there have been some pretty utopian looks at sci-fi as well that have said, because all this stuff's out there, no one will want for anything once we can unlock those riches. There's also equally very dystopian looks at it like don't look up for example i don't know if anyone's watched that film on uh, mm-hmm. on netflix but <laughs> very funny but yeah you know so there's uh there's a mining angle to even something like that yeah 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 it's definitely gonna happen isn't it right let's combine war in space and defense let's <laughs> combine those two categories one probably led to the other right i guess yeah d- well defense, donald, probably- donald trump was the, is the uh, the man we can credit with pushing humanity's endeavours in this regard forward uh, in leaps and bounds because he created Space Force, which is an official branch of the American military. Interestingly, I was doing a bit of research. And a Netflix programme, isn't it? Yeah, it is a comedy, I think. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not sure whether that's got... I don't know. Anyway, well, maybe they're linked. Uh, I've never seen it. But... <laughs> I so <doubt> US... <laughs> do you, <laughs> you want to take a... You, you'll never get it, but do you want to take a crack at what they... Uh, what they made the um, the motto of Space Force. So I'm going to give you a clue. The US Marine Corps, everybody knows this one, is Semper Fi, right? Which stands for Semper Fidelis, which is always loyal. So Space Force, <laughs> they gave them Semper Supra, which I think sounds like a spell from Harry Potter. Or a car. Or, or, or a car. Yeah, very good. But that in Latin means always above. It's very American. Always high. <laughs> 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 Lord help us all. But they, they are officially the first dedicated military branch for space, defense, and warfare, basically. So so they are that America has created an official branch of its armed services. And it's a real thing. It's not just some nonsense. You know, the, the, Joe Biden is the commander in chief and they have a chain of command and all the rest of it. And, and they are a proper branch of the military, but started by Donald Trump in 2019. Is that defence in terms of defending from other countries that use that use space? Well, it's going to be the whole protecting America's interests in blah 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 sure, blah. Isn't but it? is but it also is it also about defence against asteroids coming in? Because I think that's something different, isn't it? Well, that's that's more being handled. Well, I mean, I can't, I don't know because obviously it's all classified and everything. What space force is up to? Yeah. yeah so dart. <laughs> yeah. The, what you're thinking exactly. of is the, the dart yes, mission yes, that's exactly been in the news. Yeah, yeah, in the past couple of weeks, where they've they've literally smashed a, a spacecraft into an asteroid to try and adjust its trajectory slightly. So rather than pinging hundreds of nukes at it shattering it into a million bits and having bits of it smashed down all over the earth and kill millions of people. Actually, what they're doing is a lot less Hollywood and they're trying to nudge asteroids so that they will just miss us, which is the best thing to do by far, right? So yeah, they successfully managed to plough a spacecraft, a sacrificial spacecraft, 
into a, a rock, and they're now seeing what the impact of that is. But yeah, that is being handled by NASA, not by Space Force, as far as I'm aware, although I'm sure so under the hood they're things, involved somewhere. They? The Space Force is basically just defending ourselves from ourselves again. It's just we're using the sp- the space is the environment in which we're going to defend ourselves. Protecting our loot. <laughs> and I suppose some of that is to do with, you know, I, I, you see it kind of happening now with, with Russia. And there was an incident between Russia and France where a, a satellite came very close to a French satellite and the French were blaming Russia for doing it deliberately. And you can sort of see things happening with satellites in terms of, Satellites, be, maybe it happens now, I don't know. Satellites being launched that actually block or jam or interfere with other satellites that are mm-hmm. there. Or using satellites to actually impact other satellites, like, like what was done with DART on, on other satellites. But, you know, the Kessler syndrome, here we go. Yeah. Or, or starting to use satellites that become armed, you know, with weapons. Mm. And, and I know there's a lot of investment in that, isn't there, in terms of satellites with laser that can actually, you know, that you're actually targeting things on Earth or you're targeting other things in space using lasers as the actual weapon of choice. But a lot of investment, as you said, JK, that's where the money is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of it's going to be about protecting strategic assets, right? So once somebody works out how to strip mine the moon or something, they're going to want to have armed guards all around their bit, right? Where they're... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, you've got China investing very heavily and looking to try and get to the moon soon and huge amounts of technology being developed to exploit the resources on the moon and then that being rolled into Mars and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot sure, of... Uh, we didn't talk about that, did we? But I suppose our nearest our nearest planet, our nearest our nearest thing to mine is, is probably the moon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, there's people working out how they can turn moon dust into concrete and stuff like this you know how they can fabricate based on because what you've got to do i mean it's not you can't ship everything with you that you need you've got to produce stuff when like particularly with mars for example you know these kind of colonies they they have to be self-sustaining in a lot of ways because by the time you get there your ship's going to be falling apart just like real world ships on the sea right they they fall apart constantly and and they're constantly being stitched back together again by maintenance crews and things to keep the damn things running when britain went to war in the falklands they had a I think it was something like a month or something to win the war before their their navy would literally fall to pieces. Like it wouldn't be maintainable, so they'd have to bring the ships home, otherwise they might not make it back. And it's the same kind of logic in space where, you know, you've got this this problem that your your assets won't last forever, so you have to have ways to uh, survive and build and thrive, etc. Uh, when you're a long way from home, so a lot of technology is being pushed in that direction and repurposing things like lunar dust or ice on Mars or whatever. They're all things that people are pouring a lot of energy into at the moment. Mm, so we can expect plant-based lunar dust soon. Yeah, well, well, things like um, hydroponics, you know, agriculture without soil and stuff, you know, so you can grow food while you're on the way and mm. all that kind of thing and grow food once you get there and everything. Yeah, yeah, they're doing big studies on, on things like that um, because cool. it's the only way you'll survive. Last one we want to talk about then is power generation. And energy, you, there's a big there's a big energy source out there, isn't there? It's called the sun. <laughs> we're making use of we're making use of solar panels in, or solar capture, solar energy capture now on Earth, aren't we? And it's becoming, ironically, it's becoming ever in, a, a huge, uh, increasing, increasing. Actually, thank you very much, um, Putin, for that. I think they should be thanking him all the solar all the solar panel industries because there's a massive move towards it. I know I was looking at it. Solar panels, though, have a sort of limited efficiency, and 
and uh, one of the problems I think is is the atmosphere, isn't it, on 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 Earth? I mean, that it reflects quite rightly. Otherwise, we'd all we'd all melt. It reflects a lot of the energy back out to space. If you've got solar solar panels capturing energy in space, you've you've removed that kind of you've removed that kind of reflection. I suppose it's capturing it is one thing, and then what you're going to do with it is is maybe another thing. How do you get it back here? I know you don't. I'm not sure you're going to have a big cable <laughs> running from the solar panels down to Earth. I think they they'll use X-rays, don't they, or other kind of other kind of media to to transfer transfer the the energy down. And then there's increasing the increasing technology around storage as well, and batteries, or and all of the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, also, as a means of propulsion as well, solar sails. Okay. Yeah. For, for ships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sort of carbon. Well, you know, pollution neutral. Don't need to burn anything. You know, you you could in theory, you know, sail on the sun's rays all the way across the solar system if you really wanted to. But obviously, it would take you a long time. But yeah, it's uh, it's something that people are seriously looking at, and again, a common concept in sci-fi. Everything from Star Wars to yeah, various other different uh, sci-fi properties. They all have these these concepts of solar sailors, you know, that that open up these massive, great sort of thin membranes that catch the sun's rays, and it actually has the energy to push them along. I'm sure that's how long long term transport or, or transport over long distances is going to work. There's a kind of initial launch, isn't there, to break out to get the you moving, yeah. Earth. Yeah, but then something else unfolds once you're there. You know, the more delicate solar sails, because I imagine you know they wouldn't survive our atmosphere. But where there's no atmosphere, you know, they yeah. unfold and then transport you. Yeah, one of the biggest problems is them getting ripped by because space is is obviously big and, and a vacuum and everything. But there's a lot of tiny little rocks and dust and things flying around. And and if if they hit a space shuttle or something, it's not the end of the world because they're quite you know quite sturdy things. But uh, if they hit a solar sail, you know they'll go right through it and, and rip it. So there, there's a lot of thought going into how you could make it work as a concept. And obviously, it's only useful for travel relatively near a star because the fainter the light gets, the less push. This is true. But yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Good stuff. Yeah, that was a, an interesting little whistle stop tour through different different future of space things. I mean, the sky's the limit with this stuff, isn't it? Uh, God, <laughs> unfortunate choice of. <laughs> I didn't do that like deliberately, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's an amazing topic. This because you could talk for a million years and you'd never cover all the different potential concepts and and bits and pieces. But it is the future in many ways, isn't it? You know, humans are naturally a, a species that wants to explore. We have this. It's one of the few things we all agree on, I suppose, really, whether consciously or not, you know, that we always want to find that new horizon. And yeah, space is it's the final frontier, I guess. <laughs> I was trying to find a non-Star Trek way of doing no, it. But, you failed. But yeah, awesome. Interesting chat. Thanks, guys. So uh, we'll move on to the recommendation section of the show if we may. So, Will, did you want to go first with yours this week? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Prime Video, Star Trek Lower Decks. <laughs> there you go. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What a link that was. Star Trek Lower Decks. So it's an adult animated series. Uh, is it me? Or when you say adult series, it sort of yeah. sounds slightly pornographic. <laughs> That's exactly anyway. what I was thinking. Yeah. Why are you <laughs> recommending this? <laughs> it's an adult series. Yeah, I recommend that on porn. It's an animated series for <laughs> adults <laughs> okay. because the humor is very adult. <laughs> yeah, I'd like my humor. We're now into series three. I recently just binged one to three. So, Star Trek Lower Decks animated. So it's, so it's set in the Star Trek universe, but it focuses on the, so the less important starship than the USS Enterprise. I can't remember the name of it. And it the focuses Cerritos. 
Okay, well done. And then and and the more menial jobs or low ranking officers <laughs> that are on the ship, not the captains or first officers, you know, in the majors of of, of the movies with Kirk and Spock and all that stuff. Example of the kind of stories are so here's a little snip, here's a little kind of example to give you a taste of. One of the characters is experimenting you know, with a teleportation, transportation device that they have in Star Trek, try and make it one and a half seconds quicker to, to transport someone. And he then uses his best mate to user acceptance test, you know, what, <laughs> what he's been doing, which goes slightly wrong because he forgot to do a particular setting. And then his best mate is, is, is caught in a, in a constant state of transportation so he's slightly transparent and he's got that really annoying noise that it made the, uh, in, in Star Trek as it's transportating. Uh, but he, he tries to get on with his life in this kind of state with this annoying noise uh, and he's attending meetings with the, with the transportation noise going on. And he basically gets evicted from the ship and has to go and live on another ship where, uh, with people that are full of, that have been involved in experiments that have also gone wrong, some of them quite horrific. And basically we go from there. You get the kind of picture of the stuff. It's amusing. Mm. It's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's laugh out loud, but it's, it's quite a lot of fun. And it actually reminds me, the characters in it, see if you can see some of the characters. So you've got, you've got a, someone who's very good, very good um, at doing stuff, but he constantly breaks the rules. He, you know, there's someone nerdy who's a stickler to the rules and there's a cyborg who's technically brilliant and creates these kind of mad experiences that sometimes go wrong. What does, it, does that remind you of anything British? Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. Spot on. It's the there same characters as Red Dwarf, but it's sort of been upgraded and made It's it, a made little bit it. like that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd argue everyone in Red Dwarf is equally incompetent in their own way, <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I would definitely second this, by the way. I love Lower Decks. I think it's hilarious. I really, really enjoy it. I think the point that I that I knew I was going to like it because I've often bounced off a lot of Star Trek because it's a bit po-faced, uh, Deep Space Nine maybe being the exception because I think that's brilliant. But the bit where <laughs> in one of the earliest episodes, they, they have this thing in Star Trek called a holodeck, which is basically, a, you know, a, for anyone who doesn't watch it, it's a, it's a room that you walk into and it basically projects a, a sort of hard light simulation of whatever you want. So you can be on a pirate ship or you can be, you know, in Paris in the 1930s or whatever. Um and there's a bit where one of them gets tasked with changing the jizz filters in the holodeck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and then someone's like, hang on, yeah. what? You had to do that? And they're like, yeah, it turns out that's what most people use it for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that, that line, before, yeah. Absolutely. That's from Red Dwarf. N- well, that maybe, yeah. Red Dwarf. But... They did an exact series. This is what I'm saying. I think they've nicked it from Red Dwarf. Oh, okay, fine. They had a, re- they had a device that you stuck on your knob. You oh, know, yeah. And- and basically, okay, and then you went into you did that. You put your hollow, you put your VR headset on with your yep. knob device, and you could then, and you basically oh, yeah, yeah. used it to shag people. I, and that I was a thing. Yeah. It ran out. It ran out after a month, and it had a lifetime warranty. You know, it's <laughs> the ongoing joke. But like the fact that they made a Star Trek show that has that kind of humor in it, it's not all toilet humor, but that really it is very funny sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I do laugh out loud sometimes at it. It's very well written. Also, interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, Will, but the um, you know um, the main characters you talked about, Mariner and Boimler, who are the, the two, literally the mm. two main ones, they are going to be in appearing in live action with the same actors who voiced them actually playing the the characters for real in real life in an episode of Star Trek Brave New Worlds or Strange New Worlds or whatever it's called, the new live action okay. Star Trek series. So if some some you know, shenanigans are going to happen because that's set in a different time period. Oh, that's interesting. But they're going to pop up. Um, so that'll so be interesting. there's a bit of continuity to... there. 
Yeah, but that'll be fun just to watch those two goofing around. Because Jack Quaid, who, who voices Boimler, he's from The Boys. That's uh, right. He plays yeah. Huey in The Boys. So you'll, yeah. yeah so right. anyway, yeah. cool, huh? JK, did you want to go next with your recommendation? Yeah, not particularly cool, but it is Amazon Photos app. Basically, you have unlimited space if you've got an Amazon Prime account to store photos. If, if anybody out there takes a lot of pictures and doesn't want to keep increasing their Apple Cloud and paying for services. If you've got a Prime account, you can download Amazon Photos and store as many to your heart's content. I use Amazon Photos. Is it relatively easy? Yeah, I, th- I think it's very easy. Is, it, is that the one where you put an app on your phone and it automatically uploads any photo you take or something? Just runs in the background or am I making that up? You probably can do that with the yeah, you can. yeah. You can do that with most of them, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I went across a lot of storage or photo storage services. I suppose that's what it is, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's primarily for photo. Interestingly, Amazon are shutting down their storage, like their kind of storage as a service, service like the OneDrive, if you like. They're shutting that down and they're recommending if you've got photos just to move to Amazon Photos. But I use it. I think it. I think it's excellent. Mm. So, yeah, and I check a photo on my um, phone, just automatically appears on Amazon I Photos. I desperately need to devices. do this. Yeah, I'm still backing them up onto sort of removable hard disks and things, which is a stupid idea. Yeah, I really need yeah. to do I, this. I've literally just started to move away from all of that and make sure that there's mm. nothing just backed up on hard disks anymore. So, yeah. The problem I had is I had about three running. at the. I had Amazon Photos and I had such and such and such and such. Mm. And my single photo was being then transported to three storage services or photo services, which are two of which I was paying for. And one was Amazon Photos, which was free. So I just shut down the other two. Excellent. Right. Well, that makes sense to me then. That's decision made. I think I need to switch over to that. So my recommendation very briefly is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. So uh, this is a new anime series that's just been released on Netflix. It links into Cyberpunk 2077, which is the the video game that had the disastrous launch a couple of years ago, but it's actually fantastic. I think just been patched to version 1.6. So it's worth diving into if you've never given it a go. I think it's brilliant. But yeah, so this is an anime series that's set in the same continuity the same world a year before the game so it's set in 2076 rather than 77 based on the tabletop rpg that was originally written by mike pondsmith back in the 80s so it's been uh, uh, been it's a property that's been around for a long time before the game or the series and this anime is made by a studio called studio trigger who are a very famous anim- anime studio they do a lot of they've done a, ver- a lot of very high profile anime shows very very popular in japan and, and then dubbed often into english and all this kind of stuff so they are they, they also did some stuff for disney on star wars a little while ago so they're massive you know really 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 top-notch studio and they produced this eight episode series you don't need to have much like arcane the show that was based on league of legends that i recommended a few episodes ago you don't need to have played the game to get the most out of this and it is a very very good uh, again, very adult in the sense of it's very violent and there's lots of swearing and all that kind of stuff. Animated series, which charts the the story of a young boy in this horrendous dystopian city called Night City, which is where the the setting uh, for, the, for the game and the, the tabletop game and everything takes place. This horrible sort of neon-drenched dystopia full of massive mega corporations that rule everything and people being shot on the streets all the time and stuff. And it's it's incredible. I mean, it looks fantastic. The animation is amazing. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. So I'd, I'd highly recommend anybody who's interested in nihilistic sci-fi. So I'm looking at you here, Will, particularly. 
to give it a go because although it's animated it, it is brilliant and if you can get on with something like love death and robots then you'll definitely like this so yeah cyberpunk mm. edge runners it's called it's only eight episodes they're only relatively short yeah brilliant really 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 good definitely recommended so i think chaps that's the show thanks very much uh, good good chat once again uh, good to get back on with the podcast again so if anyone wants to get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you we're available on ddkpod at DDK Limited, that's with limited spelled out in full.com. So ddkpod at ddklimited.com. On Twitter, we are at DDK Limited. And on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. So just remains for me to say a big thank you to Will and Jatinda once again. Thanks to Charlie for editing this. And catch you all again in a month. Thanks very much. Thank you. See you later. Thank you.